It's a real joy to be together with you today. Uh, I just, I really love the summers. We come together, it feels like the sun came up at about 3 a.m., and it's just been, now we're just coming together, and it's just sort of a wonderful family reunion, sort of strip back some of the polish, and we just get to be together and worship the Lord. Adding to that sense of family unity today is that we're joined by North Campus. Let's say, hey, North Campus. Hey, North Awesome. Okay. I'm so glad that works. So, hey, North Campus, so glad to, that you're joining us uh, today. Uh, special shout out to you. Uh, so thankful for you up, uh, laboring for Jesus up in North Liberty. So welcome. My name is Thomas. Uh, I should introduce myself. My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I spend most of my time working with community groups. Join one if you haven't yet. Community groups and working with classes and things like that. Uh, but every so often, including actually these last two weeks, uh, I've gotten to preach to you from the book of Amos. We are nearing the end of our time in the book of Amos, but uh, today we'll be in Amos 7. Uh, so if you want to flip there, uh, it's a tough one to find, but almost all the way to the New Testament. If you hit Matthew, you've gone too far. Flip there now. Amos 7 through 8, 3 is where we'll be. And today we're going to be talking uh, a lot about judgment. And um, in our culture today, we have sort of a complicated relationship with the idea of judgment. On the one hand, if you were to flip open your TV guide, which is, that's a very old-fashioned sentence, I know. But if you were to, if you were to look out sort of on our media landscape, <clears throat> you would see a society that's actually really just obsessed with justice, with judgment. Uh, I, I just looked up sort of the top TV shows of the last 25 years or so, and um, really number one is, you guys heard of CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, or NCIS, which I'll just admit to you, I don't know what it stands for. Uh, but they're both, you know, crime scene investigating, you know, forensic science shows. Who did it? And, and we want to, you know, catch the thief. 60 seasons they've done of these two shows. Law and Order. We love justice. 40 seasons of it we'd like uh, since 1990. And between just those two, we have over a thousand hours of scripted justice and judgment. Uh, not to mention 25 seasons of Judge Judy. Okay. <laughs> And I couldn't, there's so many TV judges, I couldn't even, I, I looked it up and I couldn't scroll fast enough. There's at least 15. We, but that's just sort of civil and criminal justice. What we also love is uh, a show where we actually get to do some of the judging ourselves. Number one example would just be reality television. Okay, we all know, we like to watch these shows and just see what, what is going on in the world, you know? The Bachelor, we just, we love who's the good one, who, do, who are we rooting for, all that sort of thing. Or when we literally get to judge, like with American Idol. You know, we listen to everyone sing and then we get to decide. You know, text in your vote and, and sort of see who wins. One long-running show features judgment, uh, not sort of judgment in the abstract or judgment in the civil and, and legal realm, uh, but actually judgment sort of comes home. A&E is right in this starting in August, I think it is, is in its 20th season of Intervention. Anyone ever seen the show or heard of it? Hope so. Um, but basically, the show is laid out like this. Uh, there's these family members gathered together, and, and there's someone in their realm, in their family or friend group, uh, that they're very concerned about because they're addicted. They're, they're having addiction. Uh, and they get together, and they've, they've judged that this person uh, is in deep trouble and that they're going to have some severe consequences. They might even die if they don't accept intervention. Um, and so, uh, you know, this product of their judgment is, is that they hope 
by, by showing this person, here's what is going on in your life. Here, here's what's going to happen if you continue down this road. They hope that this intervention will produce a, a change in life that will, that will keep them from, from reaching the point of no return. And in fact, that's really the same message that God is delivering to his people in Amos 7. It's an intervention, and it, it's an act of judgment that God is hoping his people will respond to and change before it's too late. Now, this passage, we just have to say, um, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said, you know, there's some things are sort of milk, easy to drink, easy to digest, and some things are meat, a big meaty steak, and they take a little bit of chewing. This one's going to take a little bit of chewing. Okay, so I hope you're with me for the ride. And just the structure of this passage is it's prophetic, and it's also visions. Okay, so there's four visions with one big interruption between number three and four. So just to set it up a little bit, I'm going to read it its entirety. Amos 7 through 8, 3 says this. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. The Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for thus says Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, flee, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. 
This is God's word. It's good for us. And I hope that we'll see that since God's judgment is real and good, live today in light of the end. Since God's judgment is real and good, live today in light of the end. It's wonderful that we come to passages like this that uh, challenge us and, and test us. We don't skip over them uh, because we know that when we skip the things that we don't like in God's word, we end up with a God that is not the God of the Bible and is always worse for it. But in Amos 7 through 8, 3, uh, God teaches us four facts about God's judgment, four things that we're going to see about God's judgment, and he urges us to live our lives with an eye to the reality of God's coming ultimate judgment as well. But first, let's pray. This is, this is a good, good hard word from the Lord, and we really need his help to hear it. <clears throat> Holy Father, thank you for your goodness in giving us your word. Thank you for your kindness to us in Christ. And we pray that as we hear about your judgment, that we, as we hear about the strictness of your holiness, though it's produced by your love, it, it's horrifying. It's, it's awful. We pray that we would become the people that you intend for us to be through it. We pray that you would infuse us and, and change us with, with a, a healthy and right fear of you, a healthy and right love for you, a healthy and right desire to please you in everything, and that we would bear witness to the goodness and, and horror of your judgment rightly, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> and so, we, as I said, we, we learned four facts about God's judgment from Amos 7. And the first one is this. God's judgment is a measured act. God's judgment is a measured act. Act. That is, it's, it's a proportional, a proportionate response. It's been escalated. It's been forewarned. Uh, this text is laid out, like I said, as, as these four visions with the one interruption. And when we have these four visions, the way that God is communicating to us through them is through the pattern that's established. One, two, three, four. You, you, you probably sort of heard me sort of raising my voice a little bit with this, the phrase at the beginning of each of them, this is what the Lord God showed me, and this is what the Lord God showed me, this is what the Lord God showed me. Well, what's the pattern that's formed? Well, the first one that we see is this. In each case, the judgment gets worse. It begins, you know, not in a happy way, but um, it ends, you heard horrifyingly, with visions of just a total and complete destruction. It started with, you know, an agricultural catastrophe. The, the locusts come, then it, it's, it's wildfire, then uh, destruction of the temple, the high places, and the, thr the throne, Jeroboam, he was the king, Right? And finally, this, this, this shocking and complete military defeat. It is escalating <clears throat> in each case. The point being made through this pattern is this. God's judgment upon his people is not out of nowhere. It, it, it wasn't a surprise. God is not trigger happy. God is not, this is not sort of the Cold War fear uh, that we would just have a nuke that came out of nowhere and uh, that sort of a preemptive strike. That is not what God's judgment is like. God has taken every step along the way to wake them up, to wake them out of their slumber of sin. God is urgently and, and really lovingly prodding them, wake up, come on, wake up, as carefully as he can. God's judgment, is, it is a proportionate response to their rebellion, and yet God does not wish to destroy them. He wants to save them, and therefore his judgment, it, it's a measured intervention. It's a, it's a surgical strike. It's, it's carefully escalated and forewarned in hopes 
that they would turn in hopes that they would repent. Our God is a God who calls himself, he says, I'm a God slow to anger. He, he's not raging and impulsively attacking. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, hoping that all would come to repentance. It is only through a series of measured series of failed interventions that God has come to the point where he must make a radical and therefore horrifying intervention. And of course, as we work through the reality that ju uh, of judgment that Israel was facing, we can't help but look to forward to the ultimate reality of God's judgment. One day, the Bible teaches us, Jesus, who, who died on the cross for our sins, he will once again come. Uh, and this time, he will bring judgment, and all of us will stand before the bar of his ultimate judgment. And, and what we learn in Amos 7 also applies to our coming judgment. God's judgment, even the coming judgment, it will not be random, and it won't come out of nowhere. In fact, it will be the last of a series of God's interventions into every one of our lives to bring us as close as possible to him. God is doing a thousand things in your life right now to show you how much you need him. Whether you're here and you know him, and he's, he's bringing difficulties into your life to, to remind you of who he is, to bring you back to him, or you're here and you don't know him, and he's, he's aligning every bit of pain and pleasure and every experience that you're having to show you, to open your eyes. He is being so tender with you to bring you to repentance. He wants to know you and be with you. Won't you listen to him? He, he is doing everything to bring you to himself. Since God's judgment is real and good, live today in light of the end. That's the first thing we learn, first fact we learn about God's judgment from Amos 7. The second thing that we learn is that God's judgment is an imminent reality. God's judgment is an imminent reality. It is coming. We don't know when, but it is coming. You notice how similar these patterns, you know, the pattern of these visions. Thus the Lord showed me, you know, this is what the Lord showed me, this is what the Lord showed me. And it's sort of, just like I explained, it's this pattern that forms. And, ah, ah, this is what the Lord showed me. This is what the Lord showed me. And so when the pattern is broken, our ears should perk up, you know? One, two, three, negative seven. What happened, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And one of the main ways that we see the pattern of these visions broken is that in the first two, you, pr you probably heard it even as I just read it. In the first two, Amos intercedes for the people. There's this judgment coming, locusts, fire. Amos intercedes. He said, how can, how can Jacob stand? He's just a little guy. He's big. What are we going to do? And what does God do? He relents. But in the cases of the third vision and the fourth vision, there is no intercession and in fact, God repeats this phrase. I said it a little bit louder. Maybe you heard that. I will never again pass by them. I will never again pass by them. What he's saying is, I will no, I'll, I will no longer pass by Israel without pronouncing judgment upon their sin. I will no longer overlook it. God has not been unjust in waiting but his patience will one day end. And that day, Amos' warning is rapidly approaching. For the sake of preserving human life and flourishing, God will delay his judgment, but he will not put it off forever. And we should not perceive God's compassionate patience and, and delay of judgment as a lack of justice. In God's court, in the court of the infinite God, justice delayed is not justice denied. 
final justice is coming. In, in Amos' day, God's people looked at their prosperity. They looked at everything and how their wars were going right. They had so much food. They had so much money. They had luxuries galore. We talked about this last week. And they said, God must be happy. We, we can see the judgment just by looking around. Look at my wonderful stuff. Uh, things are going well. But in fact, God was not pleased with them. And so God, God brought this judgment as smelling salts to wake them up via Amos. In the same way today, we know Jesus will return in the blink of an eye, in the twinkle of an eye. He will be back. The king is coming back. How will he find his servants? Us, behaving. Will, will he find us repentant and loving and serving those around us and, and extending his name on earth, heralding the gospel in, in word and deed? And, and you might say, oh, you know, man, Amos is harsh. I prefer Jesus. But no, no, no. Hold on. This is this theme that Amos is hitting, the idea of looking, looking, sort of living life backward with the end in mind, living today. That's something that no one talked about more than Jesus. No one talked about hell more than Jesus. No one talked about God's judgment more than Jesus. Do you remember the story of the ten virgins? Jesus tells this parable. You know, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. They've all got lamps. Five of them remember the oil. Five of them don't. What's the, what's the moral of the story? What's Jesus trying to communicate? Be prepared. Live in light of the end. Remember the story of the house on the sand versus the house that's built on the rock. We talked about it last week. What's the point? Build accordingly. Li live in light of the end. The storm is coming. Build accordingly. Remember the story of the master who's going to visit his servants. And some of the, one of the servants is whipping the other servants. And he said, what's the point? Right? Treat your neighbor in light of the end. The story of the thief coming. I mean, I could go on and on. This, this is Jesus' message, is, is Amos' message. It's, it's right for us, therefore, to, to reflect on and maybe even sort of dream about what, what would it look like for us to be a church, to be a people who, who live life backwards, who live in light of the end. A few things come to mind uh, for me right away. The first thing is, it's, it, I have to just have to say, on days when I'm preaching, that's kind of the only day I sit in the very front row, as you can see, they're not always very full. Uh, but what's wonderful about it is I can hear you so well from the front. Not, you know, when I'm in the back, I can't really hear everything very well. But when I sit up here, I can hear you. And, and I imagine uh, being a church where we just live in the reality of God's judgment and, and the goodness and, and sort of the awe of God's judgment would be a place where we come to church ready to hear from God and ready to, to just take seriously the fact that we are worshiping the God of all. We are here, we are going with intent to church. I, I am here and I know I, the God of the universe is the one I am serving. And, I'm, and that we would sing in that way and that we would listen in that way and that we would not be happy to leave the church without knowing here's what God's calling me to do today and here's my plan for what I'm going to do about it. I think that's one thing that would look different. I think another is that, of course, if God's judgment really is imminent, if it really is coming, it's, this is what this passage is saying and what Jesus was saying all the time, I think it would make us much more eager to make sure everyone around us knows who Jesus is. It, it would give us uh, an eagerness to share the news of Christ with our neighbors. Uh, do you have a plan for that? Have you thought about that? And finally, I think it would just, it would just fill us with a new zeal and passion for personal holiness. To, to imitate our God, 
uh, to long to please him, uh, knowing uh, that it's not until the end that we will sort of be in full sight of God, but it's, it's that every day God's spirit is within us, and we actually have the opportunity to please him. That, that's sort of the happy side of judgment, uh, is that while he's, he expects perfection from us, he, he also, he's looking at, and there's an opportunity for us to go, oh, when I obey God, he just claps his hands over me. You know, I have a little, I've got a one-year-old son, and I can tell you it's the funniest thing. I never thought about this. Uh, when he, he has just started to sort of get that he can do what I say, you know, and he's walking into the laundry room, and I know he's going to just hurt himself so bad in there, you know, and he gets to the edge, and he goes, uh, and he looks over, and I go, no, no, and he says, nah, nah, and he turns, and he comes back, and what do I say? Do I say, yeah, that's what you should have done? No. I go, you obeyed. We made a song. You want to hear it? Yay, yay, you obeyed. Yay, yay. I'm not making this up. You can go ask my wife. We're so, we're so ecstatic when, we, when he obeys us, when he does what he says. Of course, we're so discouraged when he doesn't, you know, whatever, but of course he's one right now, but you know what I mean. We have this opportunity that we, that daily, if we're filled with the knowledge that we live in the sight of our Father, our Father the judge, that we would know we have this opportunity every day to please him. Since, since God's judgment is real and good, live today in light of the end. That's the second thing that we learn is that judgment is an imminent reality. The third fact about God's judgment that we learn in Amos 7 is that judgment is a product of God's love. Judgment is a product of God's love. We see this in uh, chapter 7, verse 8. Well, a couple places, but in chapter 7, verse 8, um, God says, to Amos, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never pass by them again. But you probably just slipped right by it. But what does he call them? Does he call them those good for nothings, those failures, those? What does he call them? My people, Israel. Judgment has not ended his commitment to his people. Judgment is an act of God's love in his commitment to his people. And in fact. Uh, in, in verse 15, the Lord took Amos. The Lord took me from following the flock. The Lord said to me, go, go prophesy to my people, Israel. Every act of intervention, every act of, uh, even of God sending this prophet who is going to just cast these horrible pictures for them, was an act of God's mercy. Uh, parents, when, when, you, when you, you, know, you walk by your kid's room and you know they've got a big exam coming up or something, and you see they're just playing video games when you know they should be studying, they know they should be studying, and you yell in there, hey, you're going to fail your exam. Are you, are you making a prophecy about them? Ah, you will. What are you saying? You know, you're intervening saying, look, if you keep going that way, you're going to fail. What do you hope? You don't hope they fail. You're hoping they will stop playing video games and, and get on their schoolwork and therefore experience a much better future. And this is exactly uh, what's happening here. It, it does, it just, it comes across, across as just flat news, uh, flat bad news. But in fact, every act of, of intervention through God's prophet Amos, no matter how dim they seem, is actually an act of God's mercy. It's not just an FYI, not just a notice, you know, hey, everything's going to go awful now. It's, it's God's love. The greatest act of judgment would be to just say nothing. Oh, there they go. And in fact, in, in chapter 8, well, we won't get ahead of ourselves, but that's, that's actually what chapter 8 is getting to. You know, we were uh, on vacation just a few weeks ago, and we went up to Canada, went to Toronto, which was kind of fun. We learned what it's like to vacation with a one-year-old. 
not relaxing. This is the number one thing we learned. We love him, but... Um, but while we were up there, I remember I slipped into, uh, I think it was into a gas station. We headed down to Niagara Falls, and I, I went into a gas station, and I saw, you know, they sell the tobacco and the cigarettes and all that stuff. And I noticed on the packs, they, you know, in America, you might see a little warning on the bottom. Surgeon General, you know, don't do this. Very dangerous, especially if you're pregnant, that sort of thing. Just in words. Well, in Canada, and apparently almost everywhere else in the world, it's not words. You know what it is? pictures. Some of you have seen these. They're not pretty. They're pictures of lungs that have, you know, from people who were lifelong smokers. They're pictures of people's throats and people's faces and people's, you know, it's, it's really a hor it's horrifying. And in fact, that's what they're going for. They're not upset. They, they picked the worst pictures they could find. The, the idea is uh, that you, in that moment of decision, would look at what your future looks like and in that moment say, I don't, I don't think I want that. I don't think I want that for myself. Uh, and in fact, it's the gruesomeness of the picture that's meant to lead you to change, meant to lead you to, to choose health and life for yourself rather than uh, this horrifying decay and death. And, and in fact, that's exactly what God is doing through Amos in, in chapter 7. It's a, it's a picture. It's gruesome and it's nasty. You know, some of these things you know, Amaziah's wife is going to prostitution, and the boys and girls, and their slaughter, and all these horrible things. This, this is God's picture, painting a horrifying picture of what it looks like when we embrace disobedience instead of following God. This, this is God's love intervening. This is, this, God is not done committing to his people. This is the very act of his commitment to his people. And, and you just think about this from God's perspective. In the beginning, God's word tells us, God created the heavens and the earth. His vision was that through our first parents, Adam and Eve, the earth, the earth would be full of the flourishing uh, obedience, love, joy, uh, all of that in, in happy obedience to the Creator. But, but our first parents' disobedience has thrust us into the world we have now, the world of decay and death. And at that point, I guess, God had a choice. He could sort of give up on creation, throw it all away, and kind of maybe just go back to the drawing board. Or he could try to redeem it. He could not give up. He could redeem it. And all of us are here because that is the path God has chosen. He could intervene to preserve life, no matter the cost. He could, and he did, choose redemption. And, and this is the way that he would make a good world. He, he would do it through Abraham. He would do it through the nation of his descendants called Israel. And he chose them. He loved them. His people, right? My people. He saved them. Not because they were worthy, but because God is, is worthy. And, and his idea was that the purity and holiness of this nation, uh, the, the life that they lived together, was meant to be this beacon, this lighthouse to the world around them that said, this is what life would be like. Come, look, return to the God of the universe. Return to the creator and king. Come back to blessing. You can still, you can come back, come back to life. Free life available here. Th that's what they were supposed to be. And, and in fact, without that beacon of light shining to the nations around them, sh shining out to the whole world, they would be lost and hopeless. There would be that lighthouse with no lamp. And, and, the, and in Amos' time, the picture that we see of, of the beacon that they were meant to be, it's, it's, a, it's a lighthouse whose lamp has, has almost gone out. The cancer of sin has overcome God's people, and they need a radical operation. 
if any health will be preserved, if God's plan to bless the world will be preserved, if they will return to their purpose, a, a radical intervention is necessary. It is God's love that leads him to judge. Uh, Joshua Ryan Butler is a pastor out in Arizona, a guy I really like, and he, he says it like this, God's arrival is like a construction crew. God does not throw the universe into the cosmic wastebasket and start over. He takes the best of this dilapidated home and builds the renovation around it. Sometimes we say things like, if God loves the world, why can't he just ignore sin? But that totally misses the point. God deals with sin because he loves the world. Imagine a contractor that you've hired and you've, you've bought this home, but it's old and it is busted and it's beat up and you're, you're trying to live in it, but it's really, it's, it's almost untenable. There's holes in the roof, the beams are starting to fall down, and you're thinking this place is probably pretty much condemned, right? And you hire this contractor and you say, can you fix this up? We need a beautiful place to live with our family. And the contractor comes in and they say, oh yeah, this will be, be easy. Take five minutes. And so he paints over the mold. He goes up on the roof and there's a hole, slaps down a piece of plywood. And this beam is not really working, but I'll nail it back together. We would not say that he has helped. We would say that he has deceived. We would say he has, he has not done right. In fact, the strictness of God's judgment will determine how beautiful our world would be and should be and will one day be. We need this. And it it, it, what you see is that it's actually such a joy to know that God's judgment is real. The, the more injustice that you have experienced on this earth, the more you know. The fact that God will not let anyone get away with anything is absolutely good news. Do you find yourself often, I know I do, do you find yourself just ruminating, thinking about ways that, that people around you have slighted you? made little insults, done little things that really get under your skin. Do you find yourself, I find myself, you know, I'm taking a shower and I don't have anything else to think about and these pop, thoughts just pop in my brain. And you know what I do? I'm thinking about, you know what I should have said? <laughs> I know you do it. <laughs> I do it. I, and you think of that little retort, you know, the next time they say that, I'm going to have a zinger ready. Right? Uh, we, you know, you want, you, what are you doing? You're trying to justify. You're trying to, you're trying to, Think up a little clever retort. To, you feel slighted. You feel you want judgment, right? Do you find yourself constantly worrying about what, what people think about you? Your friends, your coworkers, your family members. On social media, maybe, right? This post and how many likes do I get? How many? We, we want judgment. We just want a positive judgment, right? We want the likes. We want... Did you know you can rest in the fact that God's judgment is real? And, and you don't have to think about that little sinner that I'm, I'm going to say next time. Because, because God's judgment is real. And in fact, I, I don't want them to, to enter. I, I want to pray for them. I want to deal with this. I want to, how can we keep from avenging ourselves? How can we keep from constantly back and forth against each other? How can, we, how can we avoid needing the judgment of others, needing the positive judgment of others to buoy ourselves up? Well, God is making a perfect world and a perfect people. And because his judgment is real, actually, judgment is good news. We can rest, and yet, we can't, we can't live. I hope you've seen, we can't live without God's judgment. And yet, how can we live through God's judgment if it is as strict as we've said? Because the problem isn't just out there. The problem, primarily, and the problem we see close up is in here. 
And that leads to the fourth thing that we learn from this passage about God's judgment. Fourth thing we learn is that judgment can be diverted. God's judgment can be diverted. This passage, of course, it's a gloomy message. I I sense the gloom. Uh, I I think that's a little bit how it should be, right? I I think it should, but it isn't a message without hope. Uh, While we recognize, and of course Amos is conveying to us this message about the inevitability and the horror of judgment, he also shows us the two ways that we can respond to judgment. And we see these ways when we compare uh, these two mediators that are presented to us. Sort of a case study. We have Amos, who sort of stands between God and his people and and prays for them and that sort of thing. Then we have Amaziah, who takes a different path. We're supposed to look at these two characters and sort of measure them and see which which way is the way to go. So it's probably obvious since I read you the passage, Amaziah is not the way to go, uh, but we'll start with him and and then move on to Amos. First, what we see in Amaziah's response to God's judgment is this. First of three things that we'll see, and is pretty obvious, but the first thing we see is that he rejects God's judgment, just out of hand, just rejects it. He says, O seer, go, flee away to the mountain of Judah, or to the land of Judah. Prophesy there, right? Never again prophesy. And in fact, this phrase they use is go flee away. It's a military phrase. It's, it's, it's a retreat before an oncoming attack. He's threatening Amos. Flee away. Retreat. This is not a safe place for you. Amaziah hears the message of judgment and responds by defending himself and by almost violently. Second, we see that God doesn't just reject the message, or sorry, we see that Amaziah doesn't just reject the message of judgment, he actually slanders God's messenger. Uh, that's, that's one of the ways he tries to avoid judgment is by sort of undercutting the, the legitimacy of it. So Amos says, go flee away to the land of Judah. Sorry, Amaziah says, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. What's he talking? Eat bread? Go eat dinner? Get some Wendy's? No, that's not what he's talking about. Eat bread, uh, it's, it's sort of the same little idiomatic phrase that we use today. Uh, I'm going to get some bread. Get that bread, right? Make some dough, right? What's he talking about? Make some money. It's, it's sort of a phrase that talks about making money. And so when he says, hey, go, go back to where you're from, and why don't you make your money prophesying there? Because obviously that's why you're here. You just want to make some money. So when they would prophesy, they would, they would be paid. So that's, that must be why you're here. You, someone, is paying you to undermine me through this prophecy, this so-called prophecy. That's what Amaziah is saying to Amos. So why don't you go make your money down south? Get out of here. This is not legitimate. It, it's sort of like when we, you know, we're watching a Hawkeye game or whatever, and the referee makes a call we don't like, and finally we get so frustrated. What do we yell? What are they paying you, ref? Right? We're so frustrated we think, oh, it must, it must not be partial. You know, it must be a partial judgment. It's not an impartial judge. Ah. The last thing we see is that Amaziah, he's, he's self-justifying. He's self-righteous. His ultimate defense against Amos and the, the judgment of God that comes through Amos is this. He says, Never prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it's a temple of the kingdom. What's he talking about? Now, to paraphrase, Amaziah's ultimate response to God's judgment is this. Don't you know who I am? Don't, don't you know where you are? I, I'm the king's man. Don't you see all the sacrifices we're doing? Don't you see? Do, do you know, what gives you the right? Look around you. 
Don't you see what I've done? And, and tragically, apart from God's grace, this, these ways of responding, this is really our response to God's judgment as well. What, what gives him the right? We, we want to avoid the negative judgment of God. We, we say, you know, I've done a lot of good. I do at least one good thing a day. You know, I, I'm a good person. I'm better than my neighbor, Bill. I'll, let me tell you some of the things he's, he's done. No. Amaziah's self-righteousness and self-justification are useless against the coming judgment. And Amos' response really solidifies that. Um, when, he, when he talks about all these things that are going to come upon Amaziah, all he's really doing is taking the judgment that's coming upon Israel and applying it individually to the house of Amaziah. He's saying, your response of self-righteousness and self-justification before God's judgment is only evidence that your heart is not right before him. But Amos shows us a better way. In the first two visions, uh, Amos sees this picture of God's judgment, the locust, the fire, and all that. But he doesn't do what Amaziah does. He doesn't reject it. He doesn't say, do you know who Jacob is? Do you know, Jacob means Israel. Do you know who Israel is? Do you know who? He does just the opposite. A after seeing these terrible visions, what does he say in, in verse 2? Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. He's little. It, it, he's not exalting himself. He's not holding himself up and saying, do you see what we are? And he's saying, we're so small. We're so humble. We're so little. How can we stand before you? He's practically kneeling, right? And what does God do in response to that? He relents. Amaziah's attempt to avoid judgment was to point to himself, to his temple, to his people, to his worship, which, which you know, he thought we're doing so much of it. God must be happy. To point to his own goodness. And since he was never really secure in it, he, he got angry. Amos's prayer to avoid judgment is just the opposite. It was not to point to his goodness, but to God's goodness, to ask for mercy, to plead humility and ask for forgiveness. He realized that if God's people were ever going to be saved from the coming judgment, it would be by an act of sheer divine grace. And our situation today is actually no different. Like Israel then, we, we too face God's coming judgment. We too need a mediator like Amos to stand between, in the gap between us and a holy and righteous God to somehow, if possible, divert his judgment from falling on us. And 70, 750 years after Amos, Am, after Amos prophesied, that is exactly what happened. God looked into the world, his world, the world that he created, at his people, this world broken by sin, and he loved it. And, and so the author of life wrote himself into our story in the person of Jesus. And for 30 years, he lived the way that we should live. He lived perfectly. He loved people, and he spoke the truth. And, and wherever he went, life seemed to pop up out of everywhere. And then he was wrongfully tried and sentenced to death. The injustice of this world touched him as well. And on the cross, as he was dying, he did what Amos did. While the judgment of God was raining down upon him, and he was looking at the people for whom his crucifixion they, they were responsible for, he prayed like Amos and he said, Father, have mercy on them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We can't avoid judgment. We can't even stall judgment. It's, it's coming at any moment. 
Romans 1 tells us God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness. If that weren't true, he wouldn't be a just judge. He wouldn't be a good judge. Can you imagine a town where the, ju- where the judge doesn't render proper judgment? It would be lawless. It would be awful. We would run that judge out of town. How much less can we let God? God can't wink at our sin either. There will be complete justice. There will be no escape. Make no mistake. God does not let us off the hook. How can he love us and still be just? Because Jesus is the judge who came not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment for us. So that all those who look to him, who submit to him, who love him, who give their lives to him, and who, like Amos, plead for God's forgiveness, who humble themselves before him, who accept his judgment and say, I know, I'm not right. I know, I, I can't stand your judgment. I, I see, we can't live without your judgment, but how can I live in your judgment? How can I live through your judgment? They look to Jesus, the one man who could have lived through judgment, and yet he didn't for us. On the cross, Jesus didn't just suffer, he traded places. He didn't just wipe our slate clean and say, okay, now you're sort of neutral. Now try, try your best to do good. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin. He made his perfection to be treated like sin so that our lives can be wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus so that when God's judgment appears, we can know uh, he has not just absorbed our evil, he has given us his real righteousness. The good news of judgment is this, the gospel. The gospel is true. The gospel is good. Look to him today. Go to him now. Hide in him. Put on his righteousness. Don't just carry it around like a resume. Carry it around like a robe. Wrap it around you. Wear it every moment of every day and, and push into it. Let it push you around. Let God's judgment push you around and tell you what does it look like to really live for him. God is it's just in love with you and, and he wants you to know the truth. He wants us to live today in light of the end. And he wants us to know Jesus, the ultimate answer to God's beauty and God's judgment and God's love. So let's pray. Father, you are so generous and kind to us. You are so committed to your world. We, we thank you for being a God who does not give up. But we thank you for being a God who longs to make things perfect, who will one day make things perfect. And we pray that we would be the people who, when you come, you find us like like the servants who are prepared for your coming. Form us by this word, Lord. Make Make us a people prepared. Make us a people who live life backwards. Make us a people who live today in light of the end. We pray. Amen.